It's all about the questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. As you know, it's my favorite, favorite time of the week, and I'm so excited that I've been able to bring the show back, doing two shows a month now, so my energy is coming back from the depths of uh, long COVID and illness, and I am so excited with all the guests I've had back on the show, and today... I have somebody truly special. I know I say that about every guest I have on the show, but this is somebody that I have followed forever. And then I realized the other day that it's not been forever because he only started his wildly successful blog in, I think it was 2010, Leadership Freak. I have the one and only Dan Rockwell on the show today. We are going to be talking about leadership. We're going to be talking about self-awareness, writing, and today he launches his book that he co-authored with, as you know, one of my favorite people in the universe, John David Mann, The Vagrant, launches today. It is a wonderful parable book about the inner journey of leadership, and we're going to be talking about the book today and the lessons in it, but more than that, we are just going to have a conversation with somebody that I highly respect, and that has been, I think, over half a million people, I think, might be following him on all of his social at this point. In virtually every country, somebody is reading his blog at any moment in time. And I know I've probably completely embarrassed him at this point in time. So with that, I am going to bring Dan on camera. And yes, I think I did embarrass him a little bit. Hey, hi, Welcome. Laura. Good to see you. Yeah. It's, uh, it's wonderful to, to be show. here. Uh, yeah. So happy to have you there, uh, there and here. And just to say that I've read The Vagrant. I read it months and months and months and months ago. John kindly sent me an advanced copy as he does every time he starts writing something. And he goes, I'm not going to be doing the touring a lot on this one. Dan is. Do you think you'd be willing to have Dan on? And I'm like, oh, my God, Yes. So I, I want to start out with something when you and I were chatting before the show a month or so ago, you talked about you had wanted to write this book for 10 years. And I was shocked when I realized you had never written a book before. Your blog is renowned around the world, 300 words or less, then you get deeper into it. And it's it's like this insightful bite of wisdom that people can absorb easily, work with, let it mull around in their mind. Typical question a lot of people ask, Dan, is why this book now? But I really don't want to ask that. I want to kind of show up something that um, you put on one of your blog posts and I love this because I'm a Boston Terrier fan, as people can see by my pillows. Do something where failure matters. You talked on one of your blog posts about how you weren't ready to write the book. You were a little fearful about writing the book. And then you got introduced to John and he said, yes. Was it about you were afraid of taking your work 
to a bigger realm or was there something else? Because you've talked about um, self-awareness, self-reflection, failure, putting yourself out there for so long. It just surprised me that you hadn't written one yet. Well, uh, you and others have asked over the years, uh, where, where's your book? What's your book? Why don't you put it, even just put your blogs together? Uh, I'm always chasing the next idea. And so I hardly remember what I wrote about today because I'm always thinking about the next thing and, and putting something together didn't make sense to me. And I've contributed to books uh, and I'm thankful for that. But uh, uh, I honestly didn't feel, uh, and I'm not saying, uh, let me say, the words I have are, I didn't feel big enough. And what I mean by big enough, I don't mean big enough in that there wasn't a following. I meant in my own heart, I just didn't feel ready. And uh, it was daunting to me. I have a very short attention span. So I write 300 words a day. Takes me an hour and a half or so, two hours sometimes to, you know, get something out in the morning. And I got to, you know, this idea of, uh, you know, that longer process uh, was really challenging to me. And uh, it took a while. I, I learned a lesson, if I could jump right in and just say, yeah. you mentioned you mentioned John David Mann. I think one of the big lessons of leadership in life has to do with inviting the outside in, I, inviting people into your life. And uh, I'm an introvert. Uh, I love my own company. I'm you know, glad to sit on the back deck and enjoy my own company and do my own thing. And uh, it's taken me a while to learn and appreciate to bring people into your life. And so when the story, I, had, I did have the story, I did try to write it. Um, I was not happy with anything that I was able to produce. And uh, long story short, got to John David Mann, who uh, would talk about bring the outside in. I figured I'd just reach high. And I know John is like one of the best. And so I was delighted when he said yes to me and we, uh, we were off to the races. There really is nobody better than John David Mann. If you want somebody in your corner when it comes to writing and, you know, he's launched, I think the last 10 books on my show that, that he's done with various people, including his, his wife because you said it was a hard ask for you and you reached hard, high and that sometimes asking for help is one of the hardest things to do, especially for entrepreneurs, right? And somebody like yourself, I'm going to guess, because you're considered a, an expert on leadership, right? D is there something that you asked yourself or somebody posed to you that sort of created this break through a block that enabled you to reach out? A wonderful question, Laura. And it was a process for me of realizing that uh, life is so much richer and so much bigger when we uh, invite people into our lives. And that was a process. I've had people reach out to me over the years and uh, I would uh, frequently put them off. And 
I, I will say to people, uh, if we're friends uh, and we've been friends for very long, you probably worked pretty hard to get there. And I, that's, I'm not proud of that. It's like it's, it limits life. But I started thinking about if someone shows up at your door unexpectedly, at least invite them in, at least, you know, welcome them in and have conversations. And I started uh, reaching out in more recent years. I've actually started being more active in this and reaching out to people or authors that I talked to years ago. Hey, we, you know, we talked way back. I just like, can we just check up? No agenda. And uh, what I'm learning is life is just so much richer with uh, people like you in it, relationships that are unexpected. Uh, John David Mann has uh, made my life better. Uh, and it just started to make sense to me. So it still feels a little awkward to ask for things. And I think it's important is if you're a leader, you, you know, if you're a leader, you got to get used to asking for things. Right. And, uh, you know, it still feels awkward. I, I still love to just like, I'm an ox. I just, I'm just going to put my head down and I'm going to do my business. You know what I mean? And, yeah. you know, that's a, sort of, uh, like, like, you know, how I look at it. So it was a process of, uh, coming to see, how silly it is to not to exclude people from your life and how wise it is to surround yourself with really smart people. Uh, someone said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And boy, oh boy, is that the truth. And yet in, in so many cases at all levels of achievement, we often go, that person would never want to speak to me. Uh, so we stop ourselves from, from reaching out and engaging. I know myself, the first five years, this show was on broadcast radio. And I felt more comfortable asking for the bigger get for somebody to be on my show when it was on broadcast than when the radio station went to oldies music. So my show was now gone because it was no longer talk radio and it just went to podcast. It became more difficult to ask for a bigger get. And I had one person turn me down because all they cared about was how many followers did I have something like a hundred thousand followers. And I didn't even answer them because it annoyed me that they even asked for that. And I said, I don't want that person on the show. But at the same time, I really wanted that person on my show because I loved their message that they were talking about. But it began getting me to question whether their message was what I felt the message should be about to serve others, or whether it was just about something else. So when you're speaking, Dan, about inviting others in does any of those thought processes go through your mind and if it does how do you let go a preconceived notion of what that interaction should be like because i know my listeners out there sometimes they're afraid to ask somebody because of they're afraid to see behind the scenes 
or they just think they're not worthy. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, you're hitting on something very important, and that is our our Mm self-perception, how we see ourselves. And it's okay, you know, can we see ourselves as someone someone else might like to have a conversation with? You know, I, I worked with a consulting firm in out, just outside of Philadelphia some years ago. We were working to develop a coaching culture with them. And wonderful organization, still friends. And I remember sitting around the table with the owners and leaders of that organization having a conversation and something came up and we had been working together on coaching for some time. So it was a very uh, candid, vulnerable kind of conversation. And something came up and I said, you know, I, one of the things I don't do is I sometimes I don't reach out to people because I don't want to bother them. Mm. And the owner of one of the owners of the company looked at me and he said, Dan, what would it take for you to stop feeling like you're bothering people? Wow. What a question. Yeah. You know, so I think we have to understand our place and believe we have a place in the world and uh, then just start dipping our toe in the waters. So uh, over the years, I started more recently. uh, It's been last July. So it's a little over a year now. I reached out to John Spence. I had talked to John Spence years ago. He wrote this book, Awesomely Simple. They sent it to me. You know, I talked to John and I had called him on another occasion and we had talked about something very specific. And I just reached out to him. I said, hey, John, and here's how, you know, think about how to do this. And it may may help if you have some sort of awareness of each other. Right. Uh, You know, so I, I just reached out and said, hey, John, I was just thinking about you and remembering our great conversation and, uh, you know, how generous you were. And uh, I, th- I just thought we might have a conversation. I know you're busy. I just, you know, no agenda. Just uh, let's let's just catch up with each other. Long story short, over a year later, John and I have been having conversations every three weeks ever since. And we text wow. together. We text back and forth. We send emails back and forth. John was extreme. I had I didn't ask John to do anything, but he made this wonderful little video that he posted on LinkedIn about the the vagrant, and uh, you know that he that he liked it and that kind of thing. But it wasn't for that, right? It wasn't right. for what I was necessarily an endorsement for a book or something like that. It was a, a, a the belief that relationships make life richer. And uh, just uh, just keep trying. You know, you never know. You're right. I've reached out to some people and it's been sort of formal, you know. So, hey, thanks for reaching out and blah, blah, blah. Maybe we do have a conversation, but you can tell nothing's right. really it's not really clicking. That's that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Right. Uh, uh, but then you have somebody like John or others and. Boom, you have a wonderful relationship. You text back and forth. How's the family? You know, hey, I got a question for you. And off you go. And you're and now life is richer, life is bigger, life is fuller. And you've got one of your fans and friends uh, commenting, James McKay. He says, I'm one of the guys Dan talked about. He reached out 
to me to talk after I commented on his blog several times in a row. So proud and happy to see his book come out today. And he was also one of those annoying people. When are you writing yeah. a book? Yeah, so, <laughs> so no, James, I, we, for being yeah. here. Go ahead, James. Yeah, thank you, James. And you're right. James and I have talked a few times over the years and uh, wonderful guy. Uh, he was in software there for a while. I'm not sure we've lost touch, but uh, uh, yeah, thanks for jumping in here, James. I appreciate that. In in the book, The Vagrant, it feels like that's one of the themes as well inside the book, which is about relationships or the lack of relationships, forming this basis of you can keep striving for success and keep striving for success. And I don't want to give away anything about the book. I, I devoured the thing multiple times. I actually printed a PDF of it and dog-eared it and whatever. It's been lost somewhere along the way in the many, in, I think six, eight months since I originally saw it. But um, why is it that when it comes to leadership and success, that self-awareness, that self, um, trying to think of the, the right word, self-reflection, that's the word, that the self-reflection and relationships are so important so that success really happens. I mean, I'd like to explore that concept some more because so often everybody talks about the leaders who are just single-minded and they're just driven and driven and driven and they achieve these amazing successes, but then they crash and something happens and the business folds, but it seemed like they were on a trajectory where there's no way they're not going to receive the pinnacle of success. So can you talk to that some more, Dan, and why that was so important without giving away anything about the book, which is something to be devoured? <laughs> Well, well, uh, you know, the, the, thanks for bringing up the concept of self-reflection. It's an important part of the book. And frankly, if you ask a typical leader, uh, you know, what, tell me about your self-reflection practice. Uh, before I tell you what I'm going to say, I have to say uh, I'm originally a dairy farm boy from central Maine. So uh, that's where this line, you know, that's where this comes from. Uh, you ask leaders about their self-reflection practice and, and they look at you like a cow looks at a new gate. It's like, what are you talking about? You know, what, you know, and it, it, it's like, you know, you, cows are very, you know, they just go one way. And if you move the gate, they're stuck. They just don't know what to do next. So I, I think it, because we are so busy and so driven and being busy and having goals and having vision are all essential. We start to neglect this self-reflection relationship sort of thing. Here's the com here's where they tie together, Laura. Self-reflection done in isolation leads to self-deception. Now, I'm not taking a pot shot at quiet self-reflection. I'm not taking a pot shot at you know, meditation. What I'm saying is we have the wonderful capacity to deceive ourselves. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, Daniel Kahneman wrote this book called Thinking Fast and Slow some years ago. It's filled with all the ways we deceive ourselves. 
And I remember reading that and it was really, you know, it shook me because you start to think I'm making honest, open decisions, but not really. It's sort of like, it's sort of like you have a performance review, right? And right. And what 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 are we talking about? The things that you said. Hopefully, hopefully you're not doing the annual one anymore. But if you do the annual performance review, and what do you talk about? But the things that happened in the last thirty days, because the, we are biased toward near term, and the things that are most uh, in front of us, those are the things that are most powerful. Anyway, the uh, uh, tendency of self deception says to me that uh, we need people in our lives. And sometimes they're going to say things to us that are feeling awkward or uncomfortable. And those are that's part of the journey. Mm -hmm. Those relationships are so powerful. Right now, I love people who are cheerleaders in my life, and I have lots of cheerleaders in my life. But uh, sometimes my cheerleaders also say, uh, you know what, Dan, there's a, there's an issue here. If you want, I mean, I got a story about how this all happened because Please. It's like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I joke about, I fall in love with my own voice and I talk too long. So you're doing great, Dan. Loving yeah. having you. <laughs> Raise your hand like this and say, Oh, zip it, zip it. <laughs> <laughs> So, so it's always a balance, isn't it? Right. Listening yeah. and speaking, both of them combined. You're doing totally fine. Loving it. Tell the story. <laughs> now I'm on the edge yes. of my seat, Dan. Yeah. So so look there uh, in the in the vagrant, uh, the the protagonist, Bob, he engages in self-defeating behaviors, but he doesn't see him. We all do this. Every bad thing or stupid thing or silly thing Bob did. I did. It's not a biography. But all the mistakes, they definitely come out of my life. And so it's a little humbling to read the story or have people read the story because, oh, yeah. But I'm also aware that all of us at points in our lives have done self-defeating things. And I had people telling me, uh, you can be pushy. I'm a teddy bear, Laura. I mean, I'm the nicest guy I know. Right. My daughter one day told me she was an adult at the time. She said, uh, I think you like to scare people. And it's like, okay. wow, it's like, no way. You know, I want to release people. I don't want to scare people. So I sat down with team my, with my team one one time and I was seeking feedback. And this is important. You want to do this intentionally. You don't just want to say, how am I doing? Like needy. You know, do you like me? Do you like me? You want to be very intentional. I was asking some specific questions. And I remember a lady on the team said, you can be pushy. And I said, I've learned. It bris makes me bristle. But I've learned. Uh, thanks for saying that. Try to calm your spirit there, big boy. Thanks for saying that. So she... She said it. I said, thank you. I said, could you help me with an example? And lots of times people can't. She said, uh, not really, but it's just, you know, something that I have a sense of. Two weeks later, I was having a conversation with a person this way, face to face. Okay. And this woman was off to my left. I could see her in my peripheral vision. And while I'm having this conversation, she's going, 
for for those who are only listening to this on on audio on the podcast go up onto my YouTube channels up on LinkedIn or Facebook because you have to see the gestures that Dan just gave and the expression on his face. Okay, go ahead, Dan. Yeah. So anyway, she's pointing at me and she's nodding and indicating to me something's going on. I knew in an instant what Pushy'd look like for the first time in my life. And it wasn't like yelling. It wasn't, you know, like grabbing somebody by the collar. But it was being, in, you know, passion can sometimes make us intimidating. And I was, I'm passionate about things. And so I can come off unintentionally as pushy. So uh, bringing this back around, self-reflection, we need people to speak into our lives. And then we get the opportunity to re to reflect on our journey and reflect on who we aspire to become okay. a little more honestly. And so that was a very transformative moment. And is that the root of the story in The Vagrant? Or that was just one of the pieces that pulled together the story of The Vagrant and Bob's journey throughout? Or not That's, related at all. <laughs> no, no, uh, you're you're right because uh, my journey really is uh, Bob's journey, uh, somewhat, in the sense of uh, learning to respect self-reflection, uh, doing uh, things that aren't helpful unintentionally, and uh, that story is definitely part of the story. I think the major shift that happened for me, Laura, was coming to the point of realizing that leadership is not simply about doing stuff, but it's about being, it's about who you are. Oh, wait, do say that one more time. That That is really powerful. Say that one more time, Dan. Well, it's not original with me, Laura. So, um, you know, leadership, Warren Bennis said, uh, leadership is becoming yourself. Uh, Francis, I had a conversation with Francis Heschelbein. I actually had three conversations that completely rocked my world. And they're really where the, the, the uh, essence of the book began. So in 60 days, I had three conversations that shook me. One was with Jim Parker, who was at the, was, who was the, the uh, CEO of Southwest Airlines during 9-11. Well, wow. they, they sent powerful. me his book. I was so excited to talk to him. I thought, I want to talk to this guy. So we had this conversation. I said, hey, Jim, tell me, what do you love to tell leaders? And he gave me the most underwhelming advice I think I had ever heard. He said, I love to tell leaders, be yourself. It's like, look, I'm a, I'm a dairy farm boy from uh, central Maine. I'm not worried about being myself. I'm worried about milking the cows. I'm worried about getting the chores done. The second conversation happened a little while after that with Frances Heschelbein. And she received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. She, she went to the White House. She said, we have to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, you have to give a presentation. <laughs> and she said, I thought I had to say, I should say something smart. And uh, so... <laughs> She said, I gave my definition of leadership. My definition of leadership is leadership is a matter of how to be, not how to do. 
Now, when Francis said that to me, I, I started feeling like a hamster on an exercise wheel. Oh, I've been there. <laughs> I cannot get a grip on this, right? It's so weird. It's just weird. And even today, when you say leadership is about how to be, not how to do, yes, you have to do, but we start with who we are. When you, when you think about that, it like, it just freaks me out. I had a third conversation that helped put it together. And you'll see that the, the essence, uh, you know, these, the essence of the books does connect to, to these three conversations that I had. Uh, and it was with Harry Kramer. Now, Harry Kramer was the uh, CEO of Baxter Pharmaceutical, tens of thousands of employees, traveled all over the world. When he was in college, he fell in love with a girl and they started getting serious. And her dad heard about it and invited Harry uh, to come visit during Christmas break while they were still in college and so he could meet Harry. They weren't engaged. He didn't know it was his future father-in-law, but it was. <laughs> Harry ends up in Wisconsin in the middle of the winter. And it's like, ay, 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 give me, you know, warm clothes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, give me uh, whatever. But anyway, you know, what we, what people will do for love. So <laughs> he uh, he uh, ends up in uh, meeting Tom Jansen. And Tom says to him, I have plans for us. And that freaks me out too. Uh, I, thought, I thought, well, maybe it's like we're going to sit in the basement, drink beer and watch football. You know, we're going to get to know each other. Whatever, you know, man right. things, whatever you do. Okay. So... Uh, Tom Jansen took Harry Kramer on a three-day silent retreat. Oh, boy. <laughs> Not oh what boy. was expected. Oh, my word. So, and, and I'll tie this together here in a sec, these three conversations. But Harry said to me, Dan, I hadn't been silent for three minutes, much less three days. The first line of the blog post I wrote about my conversation with Harry Kramer I just hung up the phone with Harry Kramer and my ear is on fire. <laughs> he talks like a machine gun shoots. So this was a huge thing in his life. He said, uh, Dan, I have never, and as far as I know to this day, he has never missed that three-day silent retreat. It began for him a daily practice of self-reflection. Every day at the end of the day, he, Harry engaged in engages in structured self-reflection, which we encourage people at the end of the book how to do this. And he asks himself a set of questions. I put that those three conversations transformed my thinking from leadership is just about doing stuff to leadership is about becoming who you are. First, it was Jim Parker, be yourself. Look, if you can if you're not yourself, you're going to be pulled in a million directions. Then the second conversation was was with Francis Heschelbein. Leadership is a, a matter of how to be, not how to do. I still struggle. I still want to. I need a how to, and that's where Harry Kramer came in. Now, how am I going to like practice this on a regular basis? How am I going to become my aspirational self? And central to the process is a daily practice of self-reflection. Looking, listening to all the different parts of the story and all the thought processes that are going around in my brain and in my body as you're talking about it, 
I keep thinking about conversations I've had, not only with people I coach, but just people who have listened to the show and the comments they've made. One area that I see a struggle within myself, especially lately, and other people have told me they have the same struggle with my ear injury, being unable to be out there in the world that I used to be, um, just shutting down and thinking, well, I can't be that way anymore. I can't keynote. I can't travel. I can't be that networker that I was. We, we often in our lives encounter moments where who we are internally, our character hopefully never changes, but how we manifest that and the world has to change due to whatever is going on. I mean, we saw this a lot with COVID, right? Where how people manifested who they are shifted and changed sometimes for the better, sometimes not so much for the better. When you're thinking about that aspect of character and manifesting your character and how sometimes the realities of how we can be are, I'm still trying to formulate this whole thought here, Dan, and this whole question. And you know, like I'm known for asking questions. So sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I have to be brilliant. No, I'm just going to be me. This is how it is. I can't, I can't always come up with the totally clear question. But the, the idea of what I'm trying to get to, Dan, is our internal perceptions of who we are, our external perceptions of how we're perceived, like you with, um, you know, you're not really a bully, but you're, you're imposing or um, all of that. You don't necessarily think that's how you're being, not how you want to be. You've always led beautifully and now something happens and you're shaken to the core and you don't know how to be again. How do you, how would you unpack that for me yeah, <laughs> and for yes. my listeners? Wonderful, uh, wonderful question and reflection yourself, Laura, on, you know, just the journey. And frankly, uh, it doesn't have to be a crisis or some sort of affirm infirmity. Uh, life changes and we change and we grow. Uh, it may be uh, something more catastrophic, more, more like a crisis. So I have a few things that come to mind that, okay. uh, you know, I think that relate to this. First of all, I'm a huge fan of language about aspirational self. Okay. Be yourself. It, I, I, it concerns me that it devolves into self-indulgence. I just got to be myself. And, and I love the aspirational side of things. So how do we get in touch with our aspirational self? I gave you a story because I've seen this happen with leaders I work with. And uh, I've actually use it myself as well. So uh, we get in touch with our aspirational self by noticing our own energy levels. So when I'm having a coaching conversation with someone, I'll be, I'm always, it's just a habit for me now. I notice, do they, do they lighten up? Do they brighten up? Uh, do their, do their uh, eyes go wide? Do they start talking more fluidly, right? Or do they kind of sink? Do, you know, do they look down? Do they, does the energy go? 
here's the here's the thing and i'll i'll give the illustration one of the first times i noticed this i was in las vegas i received an email from a leader in las vegas who said basically i'm at the end of my rope i feel like i'm on the interstate highway in texas there are no exit ramps and it's 2 a.m and i've been driving all day um, you know, so I ended up in Vegas and we spent the day together. It wasn't exactly the most cheerful day. We did have dinner that evening. Um, uh, he, his wife and, and he and I, uh, and during that conversation, he went bright. I love that moment. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I, I was still, you know, I had not formalized all of this in my own thinking, but I noticed it. And this is important. Noticing is, you know, important. I said, hey, 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 what's happening for you? I mean, you know, we, you just lit up. He looked at me. He said, Dan, I love being a dad. Ah. Yeah. And so here's the, here's what, here's how it comes together. So first of all, he, he and his wife had raised four of their own children. They adopted four small children after they raise their own family. Wow. I'm seriously, it's like, <laughs> that sounds like punishment to me. Don't get me wrong. Love my family, but you know, there's a new phase in life. He loved being a dad. I said to him, uh, let me ask you, what happens in your thinking if tomorrow morning when you show up at work, you take the leader hat off, you know, that hat you're supposed to be wearing, and you put your dad hat on. Now, you can't show up and say, daddy's home. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of creepy. <laughs> it's just in your heart, mm -hmm. right? I said, what would you do differently? First thing out of his mouth, I would hold people more accountable. I was totally shocked by this because I thought it was going to be, you know, something more caring, whatever. He said, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, look. At home, if I say the lawn has to be mowed for dinner, the lawn gets mowed before dinner. I mean, that's just, a, you know, one way or the other, we're getting the lawn mowed. Saying he's at the end of his rope because he's doing other people's jobs for them. He's at the end of his rope because he's not, he hasn't learned how to hold people accountable. By the way, the end of this story, just a month or two ago, I received a text message from this gentleman. He was in South Africa. He sent me a text selfie. And uh, he said, Dan, the most important thing I ever learned about leadership was lead out of who you are. Mm. Isn't that something? And, yep. and yet so many people, like especially for women, if they were to bring the mom to the workplace, that's considered, it's a disparaging comment. And we're told, do not bring the mom to the workplace. But yet him bringing a dad to the workplace actually helped. So to the women who are watching, Dan, or listening, how could you see a way to help them manifest the, that perhaps into the workplace as a leader? Because you know that women and men are sadly perceived very differently with some of their character things. Yeah. Wonderful question, because it, the important thing here is that you find your own way to bring that into the world. 
if if for example you love being a mom and that's like your identity uh my identity is is uh granddad i love I being poppy <laughs> i love being poppy and i show up that way for people i don't tell them that but i treat them like my grandchildren i i will say i say things today that i never would have said because i'm showing up as my aspirational self for example at the end of a conversation, I will say to some of these folks that I work with, and they're just working hard. You know what I'm saying? They're just they're just working hard. I will say, you know, I just have to say, they're lucky to have you. Now that's that feels so good to me to say. That's what I said. That's what a, a Poppy would say, right? So back to mom. You have to kind of figure it out. And it doesn't have to be granddad or mom. But let me tell you something. Um, there's some, you know, such powerful, wonderful uh, qualities when you think about bringing mom to work. This guy thought about bringing dad to work and he thought about accountability as one of the first things that came to mind. It, it, a mom might be the same way, right? It's like. I'm not picking your room up, you know, let's grab junior by the, you know, the collar and take him in and he's going to, you know, take care of his own. It might, I don't know what it's going to be. Listen, I have one client. He's in love with scuba diving, right? I'm not going to use his real name here, but he's, he's scuba Dave. You know what I'm saying? He shows up. I, and I will text him once in a while and say, I'm, I'm imagining you walking the hallways of your company with flippers on and a mask because he has a certain way of showing up when he understands himself through that lens. And I have a certain way of showing up when I have the lens of Poppy. It helps me. Uh, it, it softens that edge. Right. Okay. Remember that feedback that I got? Right. That idea of I'm going to show up like this person. It helps me get out of my get out of my heart those things that I might have held back. So when you're thinking about it, whether you're bringing mom to your leadership role or dad or Scuba Dave or whoever it is, it's not the actual in practice thoughts of all of that it's okay what is one aspect of mom and teaching kids or dad and teaching kids or how i'm being there that can translate into that role it's not actually mom of picking up after the kids or dad <laughs> of going to play catch with somebody it's yeah. accountability or it's um, making sure everybody knows their chores and here's how they're going to do them and making sure they have everything that they need to succeed. Is that a good sort of summarization of what we were just talking about to help some of my listeners start to put it in practice? Yeah. Thanks for pushing at this a bit and working for clarity because I think it is important and it's not just like one thing or one behavior. It's a lens. It's a way we see ourselves and what does it mean to show up and see yourself that way? You could do this. Uh, I'm a huge fan of admiring people. 
And if I see my dad and myself, it's very fulfilling for me, you know? And so there are other ways, there are other lenses. So I don't think it's so much of a, uh, well, mom does this, but mom is this. It's not so much that a scuba diver does this as much as this is who I am when I'm scuba diving. And that's the person I aspire to be, which by the way, for him, he's, he's, he likes to dive with sharks. He loves danger. He loves, <laughs> okay. I know it's all freaky to me. Right. But he has a certain calmness about him when he's diving and that's what he wants to bring to work. So uh, I, I think this, I have another friend who, uh, by the way, a uh, person I work with and friend, um, and he likes, he's the dad metaphor as well. I have another one who is a third baseman, a woman. She's like, she loves, she you know, grew, grew up on sp playing sports. She was the only girl on the team. She loved being the only girl on the team, right? And she, she, she's, I'm, I love to play third. So what's that like? And now she has this sort of lens through which she, what does it look like when your third base person shows up at work? And now it's like, well, I, uh, I'm not quite directive enough. The third, you know, when you play third, sometimes you're saying, don't forget over here. And the next play is this. And you know what I mean? There are different, yes. there are different ways that people will find expression to this. And the point is, uh, it's not all things to all, all people. What it is, is just a way to kind of get in touch with uh, your inner self, you know, that best self and find ways to bring that into the uh, into the environment and into your relationships. Okay, so feeding off of that, um, I had held up that picture of the Boston Terrier from your blog about failure and things. And, you know, we know I'm a huge Boston Terrier fan. But the reason I brought that up at the beginning of the show was because sometimes as leaders and all too often, I think, especially with the world changing so quickly nowadays, mistakes happen and we, or something's misinterpreted. It didn't get delivered quite the way we wanted it to cancel culture. All of those different things are, are happening. We make a misstep, a misstep in something we're trying to do and it blows up in our faces. It's no longer a small private thing. So with all of that going on, from your wisdom, your knowledge, all these years of you do, you know, teaching leadership, coaching, what advice, what piece of wisdom, what questions would you suggest people begin asking themselves or looking at to help them when perhaps they've done something and it landed really hard and that feels like a sucker punch in your gut yes. and you, you're just, you just want to shut down. I mean, I know some of this kind of gets talked to it. It's a theme and the vagrant too, just thinking about that. It's a theme in that, but it's something that it's really hard to pick yourself up because you're mortified, embarrassed, ashamed, or, the world crashes down because you made this public mistake that should have been a private one. Love to hear your thoughts around that. Yes. 
let me first begin by saying if, if you're making big decisions about your organization that are very public, obviously you need to get a lot of counsel and you know feedback on how to do that, including language, right? But let's just think more about day-to-day -day kind of things. Right. So not too long. They not too seem long. to be bigger sometimes, those day-to-day -day things. <laughs> and it, it and it, it it what it is is it it hurts the sincerity because no one wants to intentionally inf offend people. No one wants to intentionally engage in self-defeating behaviors. And it's like, I was trying to do good and it turned out bad. And that's very disappointing. So uh, not too long ago, I used a word on my blog that I didn't really think anything about. And someone chimed in fairly early and said, uh, that word is offensive. And here's why. And you do have an initial, you know, tens of thousands of people every week are reading what I write. It's like, you don't mean to do that. So my first response to that is, loser why do you do you know what i mean because i have a loud inner critic and uh he's not helping me i can tell you that right now but but um that's my first response but then you have to just step back and say i didn't know i apologize and uh th so i have a hip pocket response whether it's in person or here thank you for letting me know i appreciate it uh and then uh you know i sometimes that's it other times it's like you know i'm, I'm not gonna i won't use that again and uh then and here's perhaps the most important part of that whole process let it go. Don't do it again. Be kind if you have hurt somebody unintentionally, you know, apologize. And if it comes up again, just like, or someone else brings it up, it's like, I know, I know that was just a dumb thing to say. I, you know, I didn't intend to be uh, insulting to people. Uh, you know, and if I hurt you, I apologize. But the biggest thing is just keep moving forward. Don't let naysayers and critics, and sometimes remember, critics are right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, right? So don't let naysayers or critics or, or wise critics uh, defeat you. Don't don't be so down on yourself that you just, it just weighs you down and you stop, you know, well, I guess I better just throw the towel in. No, don't do that. Have you ever had a situation where you felt gut punched by the way something was received or the way something ended up coming out that was perhaps a failure that others perceived as a failure or that you perceived as a failure? And how did you work your way out of that? 
Yes. Well, the the more recent one is the one I I just mentioned, writing a a a term that was considered pejorative or insulting to a, a small group, a smaller group of people. And uh, first of all, I, I'm never going to use that word again. Okay. Right. And that's part of working it out and it's part of learning. And for me personally, when this happens, I have, I have a, I, you know, so, so say, Dan, you're pushy. I, I have a drive to be as direct and clear as possible. And so when I'm writing, I don't want to say, I don't want to mince words. I want to say things very clearly. And I think trying to make sure that is this clear or is it hurtful? And I, I think that's part of it. Um, and part of it is, for me, what I'm learning about this, I, I think, is to be sure to have uh, the motivation be compassion. Sometimes clarity uh, is necessary and it is compassionate, but it doesn't have to be mean. It doesn't have to be angry. It can be very tender. You know, I know this, I know this probably hurts. You know, I, I, you know, I'm going to have to give you some tough feedback. So working through it, I think, here's one of my favorite things. Let's just maintain a forward-facing orientation to life. Let's just keep moving forward. We're going to learn. We're going to use it as a platform. We're going to be better next time. And then we're just going to keep moving forward. That's, that's great. So like admitting your mistakes, recognizing what was going on, seeing how you can course correct, apologizing if need be, and hopefully not repeating the same mistakes again. <laughs> I, I, I think we've all at some point in time or another repeated the same thing. Like, oh, I can't believe I just did that again. Oh. No, yes, totally. Homer Simpson, no, you know, that, that whole thing. Um, we've had a, a number of really great comments going back and forth uh, about this, this topic. James McKay loves what Brene Brown says on this. You know, whose opinions do you really care about when people say it? Um, Rachel Hanfling. I, I love Rachel. She's amazing. If you do not know her, Dan, you need to know her. She's just an amazing human being on the, on the planet and former producer for Anderson Cooper, Oprah, all of that. She does speaker training and coaching and media training, but she loved the question around uh, the perception of women and men and the bringing the mommy yes. in and, and all of that in. But, you know, like we see these comments here and they're very positive comments because everybody wanted to uh, have see you on the show or have me back on the air. And, and I look at all of that, right? And I listen to the things that you've been talking about today because they're very deep and so many of them are reflected in Bob's journey in the book, The Vagrant, you talk about them on your blog that you've had right since 2010, I think was when you first did it. And yes. if I remember correctly, you credit your wife with pushing you to write. So it's listening to those voices of telling you things that you should be doing when you're not certain you should. 
so with all of that, Dan, what is next? You talk about moving forward, stepping forward, reflecting who you are. So for you, Poppy, you love to be Grandpa Poppy. What is your next thing, your, your next thought process? What do you want to have happen with this next phase where you've now written the vagrant and taken your work to another level? Uh, I'm already working on the next project and that I, I have a, a really three aspirations in life. They all reflect who I aspire to become. One, the, the, the one, one aspiration is I want to live a simple life. I, I'm not into flash. I'm not into fancy. I want, we live out in the country. I want it, you know, I'm all about it. And so I want to, I aspire to live a simple life because that's who I am, a dairy farm boy from central Maine who now lives in north central Pennsylvania. And I don't want to milk cows ever again, <laughs> but, but I'm still sort of that person on the inside. Okay. Uh, I want to become, I want to continue to be better at writing and I want to continue to be better at coaching. Uh, all of those things pull me into the future. And so for me, the next book um, is, I've been working on it really for over a year as we were working on this one. I, I, I love ideas. I'm fascinated by ideas. If I spend a day toying with ideas and reading research papers and learning something new, I'm, I'm reading uh, the, uh, the first man, uh, Neil Armstrong walked on the moon, right? And they were just writing about, the, uh, the biographer was writing about the Gemini uh, capsule that he was in and it first docking experience in space and it started tumbling and they almost died. And it's like, uh, dinner time, I'm like telling my wife, I can't believe this. Just, you know, I'm just delighted to learn some sort of new thing. So uh, learning and writing and, and becoming better. I just want to keep doing that. That's what's next for me. That's wonderful. Is there any question that I didn't ask you that I wished you that you wished I had? <laughs> Listen, if you would ask me another question, we would be here for another hour because <laughs> somehow I can't stop talking. So <laughs> well, I've totally enjoyed it. So I'm not going to complain, Dan. But is there anything that I didn't ask that you wish I had? Um, you, I, you could have asked, uh, you know, what's going on today? Or maybe you're going to already do this um, on Leadership Freak. Um, we're giving away uh, five copies a day of The Vagrant for the rest of this week. So if you go to the blog and uh, uh, leave a comment on today's post or any on tomorrow or the next. And we'll let people know tomorrow morning who the five are. I don't pick them, but five people will get the book. And then every day, the rest of this week, we're going to give away five things. That's sort of transactional, but uh, I guess that's something that I wanted to get out to everybody. Okay. And they would go to leadershipfreak.blog in order to comment to get entered in to win one of the free copies of the book. Yes. Correct. Leadershipfreak.blog. And The Vagrant, which I'm going to hold up a copy of the cover for everybody that is watching online. 
um, and seeing the video, The Vagrant, Dan Rockwell and John David Mann. And it's available wherever books are sold, correct? It is available wherever books were sold, are sold or on Amazon or Barnes and Barnes and Noble or go to your local independent bookstore. And as we all know, putting up reviews after you've read the book on any of the platforms on social is one of the best ways to help support an author as a second step after buying the book. And I just know that this book, Dan, is going to be an, an incredible read for anybody who reads it. I, I've devoured it myself multiple times. So I want to thank you for finally stepping out and writing the book and reaching out to John David Mann so that you put this book together with him. And uh, it's a dream to do a project with John myself. And um, I'm really thankful that you did it and that he introduced us so that we could meet here today. So thank you for being on the show and sharing your wisdom. Yes, same here, Laura. I'm so thankful that John made this connection. You ask wonderful questions. And uh, thank you for trusting me with your audience. I'm always very aware of that. So thank you for trusting me with your audience. Well, thank you. And you're going to want to go check all the social media platforms, YouTube and everything, because people have made a number of comments. And uh, James McKay has also given some thoughts on one of your possible next steps up there of how he'd like to see you out there some more. So thank you again for being here today. And I'm looking forward to watching the rankings move up for you. This to me as a potential to be the next New York Times bestseller. The book is that powerful. Well, thank you, Laura. <laughs> okay, everybody, I want to thank Dan for being here with me today. For all of those who were on um, social media and commenting about the show and Dan's comments, and I'm having trouble with my mouse. I'm trying to get to another screen. So, uh, the Vagrant is an exceptional book. Subscribe to the Leadership Freak.blog. Join Dan on social media. The idea of self-reflection as a leader is something that I have always found very useful in my career and when I coach my clients. Dan's slant on it of remembering not to self-reflect in a vacuum, that you need other people's input is so important. And I would love for you to comment on this episode. Tell us how you're seeing yourself in leadership, what you think of the book, how you go about self-reflection, because at the end of the day, the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking yourself today? Have a great day, everyone. Grab a copy of Dan's book. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.